Welcome to the SCORE Life and Health Innovation Podcast, where we dive right into how innovation is driving change around the world in our life and health ecosystem. From founders to investors and corporates, our world is changing rapidly, and we want to come together with you to explore those changes to understand and live transformation with SCORE. As one of the world's largest reinsurers, SCORE provides insurance companies with diverse and innovative solutions focused on the art and science of risk. Combining technical expertise and experience, SCORE leverages global know-how in over 80 countries focused on the life and health insurance industry. My name is Nia Escobar-Kolo and I am your host for today. I'm part of the Life and Health Ventures team and I'm excited to share with you experiences, ideas and thoughts from individuals who are revolutionizing the life and health reinsurance landscape with a wider perspective of our ecosystem. Did you know that over 37% of the Intratech startups in Latin America are based in Brazil? With over 210 companies in the country, most of the startups are challenging the insurance industry as a whole. In Brazil, health insurance is considered a constitutional right and is provided by public and private institutions. Today, we are talking to Luis Guilherme Berardo, CEO and co-founder of SAMI. The Intratech wanted to redesign the healthcare industry with technology by driving payments through results. In SAMI's model, data exchange allows to realign care incentives and pay providers based on the health of patients and not in a fee-for-service model. With over 200,000 users, SAMI is challenging their status quo and putting patients in the center. Guilherme Berardo, um, co-founder of SAMI Health Data. SAMI is a new company in the health insurance planet. I'm a three times entrepreneur in the healthcare space. I started my career in finance. I worked uh, previously at uh, Merrill Lynch in the U.S., got to know at a very high level the healthcare space in the U.S., uh, specifically the post-acute care setting. Back in 2008, I co-founded my first company, which was the the first uh, post-acute care network uh, in Brazil. Then I did a primary care business. Uh, It was one of the first uh, primary care networks in Brazil, but I guess I was a a little ahead of the curve. Didn't work out. This business flopped. And then in 2018, uh, me and my co-founder, Vitor, we started Sami. So this is just a quick overview. Your co-founder came to you one day and asked you about targeting patients who had diabetes that were in hospitals or that were part of the healthcare system. And that the conversation went along the lines of, well, we don't have the information despite, you know, that the healthcare system is providing care uh, because all the information is not resting with us, but it's resting with the brokers. So we cannot create specific programs for them. And that's how Sami started. Is that correct? There's a lot of moving parts, but yes, that's a, one of the fundamental parts because we were with the brokers in Brazil and, and he asked the question, and I don't remember exactly if it was diabetes, but he, he asked, there was a patient said, hey, look at the patient that had the highest number of visits, doctor appointments. And there was a patient with like over 82, it was, I think it was 82 visits. And then we asked, uh, uh, okay, could you pull out what the ICD code for that patient? So that, you know, obviously someone that goes to the doctor 82 times in a year has a problem, right? And the broker had access to the, to the billing 
of, of the company, all the, the billing services, and there was no information about that patient. So the point is, someone had gone to the doctor 82 times and no one, the carrier didn't know, the broker didn't know, nor the company that was paying the bill. So all the three main players had no clue of uh, what was happening to that patient. And that's just a very, very, very small sample of what happens in a, in a fragmented care delivery system such as Brazil, the private market in Brazil. How is Stami tackling this fragmented system? The market in Brazil, the way the carriers are structured, most of them, and there's one or two that are more verticalized, meaning they own all the assets. And they, I, I wouldn't say they coordinate the, the patient journey entirely because they lack the, the technology stack. Uh, the substrate that they're based on, it's very old. And so they don't have all that information, but they're able to control costs better than the other carriers. But in general, most of the carriers in Brazil, they have a, uh, what we call an open network. So basically the patient pays a premium and then it, the patient has a network. But what happens in, in the last few years, when you have a fragmented care, that means patient goes to whatever doctor he wishes to go. And since, and I'm speaking for myself, I'm not a doctor. So if I have a headache, uh, why would I need to go to a neurologist, which is very common, right? The person has headache two, four or five days and says, oh, I, I think I have a problem uh, in my brain, for example. So I go to a neurologist. And the fact is, when you have a, a coordinated care path, meaning your access goes to the primary care, roughly 80 to 85% of all the de healthcare demands are taking care in the primary care setting. And But opposed to that, most of the, the carriers in Brazil, they have open networks. That means the patient one has that, the example I was giving the, with a headache, goes to the neurologist, the neurologist asks for because he's very specialist in specific brain damage and so forth. And so, oh, I want to investigate this. So let's do an MRI, let's do a CAT scan and here a hundred lab work exams that I would like you to do. And most, when that happens, meaning the patient going to the neurologist, cardiologist, it misses the chances to go to the primary care and have that problem being solved at a much lower cost at a much more efficient care delivery point and a much higher chance of engagement with that physician. Because uh, when you have that contact with that primary care physician, you create a, a contact point. And as we're doing here at SAMI, we have a care team and that care team will help the patient navigate through the network opposed to having an open network where the patient goes from the neurologist and then he goes to the cardiologist and does the very same exams because the cardiologist asks something similar for lab work and then goes to another one. And nobody has that information consolidated at one point. And meaning that one general physician could look at that patient from a holistic point of view and help him in the general sense, not in that one specific pain point. So basically what Sami is doing is you're centralizing patient information and also connecting physicians. But I know there is more to this. So where exactly is Sami sitting in the value chain and most importantly in the patient journey? Because I know that your approach to this patient journey is very specific and actually quite interesting. So would you mind telling us a little bit about this? Yes, uh, absolutely. So the way we design our network, I think if you look at uh, the problem I was describing, there are a few issues in a fragmented care system system as well as the reimbursement model. So what we did, we designed a narrow network where we have a very strong relationship with our providers and our providers are willing to share risk with us and be aligned at the best clinical outcome for our patients. So uh, what does that mean? That means that our network is being reimbursed. The higher the clinical outcome to our patients, the higher they will be compensated. That means that we're able to have a, a much more forecastable view of our expenditures with our providers. 
We compensate them on a mix of uh, value-based pay and capitation fee. That's a very technical t- uh, term, but means we reimburse, for example, a primary care network, a fixed amount for a number of patients so that network is not incentivized to create additional consultations so they can build us more. That doesn't happen in our network. Like in the case of the diabetic patient or the patient that we're talking about before that had 84 appointments. Absolutely. And in the sense that the doctors that were generating all the consultations, they were getting paid by that. So what we're doing is saying, hey, let's look at the 82 example here. So if he was with the primary care team of SAMI, we would know all that information just on the onboarding of our application. Because when the members come in, they have to answer a health risk assessment. And that health risk assessment goes to our care team. And our care team looks at that information that's being generated. And they see, okay, this patient has a high risk of diabetes, obesity, and and so forth. And then immediately our care team contact that member and bring him for a digital uh, consultation and to put him in a care path that helps him increase uh, his uh, well-being, uh, diminish the risk of uh, intervention, of high-cost intervention, and therefore having more forecastability on our cost setting. But uh, in general, what we're doing is we have uh, interoperability in the system, meaning all our care network is sharing data with us. So any patient at any time at our network, we will know where that patient is, we will know what that patient is costing, and we'll have a view for the future of that patient. So meaning he will be in a plan for diabetics, for obesity, or for mental health, or so forth. And our care team will always be responsible for the journey of that patient. So when that patient goes to the specialty care, right? So the specialist provides care, completes the electronic medical record, and that electronic medical record with all the results comes back to the care team. And then the care team continues managing that patient should that patient needs additional care, meaning go to the hospital, going to a doctor specialist. So all the care is centralized within our care team and within our data warehouse, we're able to see all that information pertaining to that patient. Guilherme, and is this information also available to patients? And uh, the second question I have is, are you doing anything with this information? I mean, because you're basically owning the whole patient journey and you're optimizing patient journey for patients and for policyholders to really have experience better treatment, better care, better disease management and connecting the dots between different physicians and different preventative measures. It's a, a really unique approach. Yeah, you know, as far as the data, we're really in the beginning of uh, this whole thing right now for us. And there's a lot of issues uh, surrounding privacy and data security. So, you know, we'd mind that uh, it would take that very seriously at, at SAMI. But the first step, yeah, uh, just to be, and it will be a huge difference from any other player, is that we will have information from the get-go. And obviously, we will use that information to deliver the best care for our user and to be able to navigate to the most efficient care path. That's why we're going to use information, our health information from our users. This is how we're, we're going to use that information to be able to deliver the best care for our user at the lowest possible cost. So this is sort of the combination that we're trying to combine here because, and this is something that I mentioned at the beginning, uh, one of the biggest issues in the, in the private sector in Brazil is uh, the medical inflation. Medical inflation has been going up, uh, you know, 18, 19% year on year. And uh, premiums for corporate in Brazil have gone up 158% in the last five years. So uh, our unique approach uh, as far as, you know, from care management to care integration, data integration and uh, interoperability of systems allows us to navigate that patient 
to the most adequate settings at any specific time, and that will lower costs in the long run. That's where we're heading. And then data plays an essential part of that for knowing our providers delivering the best clinical outcome to know what sort of a disease management we should bring our users or suggest our users to follow and to manage medical loss ratio. So this is kind of some of the few points that data will help us along the, the journey. Guillermo, we're talking about the impact in terms of treatment and, and numbers and financial impact on insurance companies. I know you're already working with around 200,000 uh, individuals and policyholders in Brazil. What is the biggest impact that you've had or that insurance companies can see when partnering with SAMI? We did a pilot phase and, and we did provide service to an actual carrier before we, now we're becoming a carrier ourselves. We just became a carrier ourselves. But we did a pilot for about a year with a carrier that had uh, almost 500,000 lives. But we're doing digital primary care with this client. And we ran that for about uh, almost a year before we're going along the process to become a, a, a full service carrier. You know, that solution, which is an integral part of our solution now, the digital primary care. And, and what that means and the, the experience that we've seen before is that, you know, some of our team members that worked in, in those solutions along, you know, the last few years were able to see reduction in, in the cost of care for patients over a 12 to 18 month period, when they access uh, primary care, when they engage with the patient and they bring into the efficient journey, cost decreased to the tune of you know, 14, 16% year on year. And then mind that in Brazil, it, medical inflation is going up uh, roughly 19% year on year. So you're talking about a delta of you know, 35% compared to another uh, company that has an open network. So there's a lot of discussion of uh, how sustainable the, the private health insurance market in Brazil was. And that's why Sammy comes in into the market when the whole industry is discussing, is this sustainable? And, and we believe it is. You just need to, uh, it's not that you just need to, there's a lot of things that needs to be done, but some of the main main aspects of it uh, that, that we bet are the most uh, favorable to prove our thesis from narrow network, shared risk reimbursement models, interoperability of data and systems, and having the patient at the center of care, navigating through a primary care team that really help create a more efficient journey. Guillermo, so we're talking here about two things that are happening right now. So the first one is SAMI right now is working as a platform where you're centralizing and owning and empowering the patient journey. That's the first thing. And then you're also becoming a risk carrier. So could you tell us about maybe a timeline or what can we expect in that transition period? Yes, we're launching November 15th. That's when we expect to launch officially as a carrier, as a full service carrier. We just got our license, uh, the registries at the, at the health agency. Now we're registering the product that we're going to sell in, and that we're going to uh, go to market with. And that takes another couple of weeks. And all our technology is ready. Our team is ready. So really, we're just fine tuning here the engines before launch. So yes, you should see our commercial product going live by no later than the second week of uh, November. This is our expectations. So you were mentioning before that Brazilian healthcare ecosystem resembles a lot the American system. And I know that SAMI actually looks into healthcare health as a model, basically, that is based in on data and you are using user experience uh, and data-driven models to change radically the services in Brazil. So how do you foresee applying this model to the Brazilian system? I think Oscar is, is a great company. They've had a lot of challenges, but I think something very substantial that we're doing different than them is that we 
and, and that's our belief, right? So we believe most of the problem in the healthcare system in Brazil has to do with the value chain. And what I, what I mean the value chain means aligning interests with our providers, meaning aligning interests with the physicians, aligning interests with laboratories, aligning interests with hospitals and care delivery systems. So what we did before thinking of anything was going back on the value chain and aligning interests with this with these people and saying, hey guys, we really want to do something together with you guys in the long run. And we don't want a, a relationship that is opaque, asymmetrical, and that we have different interests. Let's try to uh, get over some of this, uh, some of these issues that are being plaguing our system, and then uh, once we align uh, uh, contractually with all the, the providers, then we talk about uh, creating all the technology substrate to deliver a better experience, to deliver better care, and to capture data along the journey. And what I feel, and I don't have much of the details, uh, we felt that Oscar uh, invested a lot on the user experience, and then along the time, they were creating a more sustainable value chain. And our approach was, uh, I would say, radically different. We said, hey, we believe the problem is in the value chain, that we need to align that before we can uh, talk about user experience. So we did that. And that's why we, it took us longer, because we sat down with our providers, with our partners, and we, we, we chose them, we handpicked them. And, and those are providers that really share the same values as we do and that believe in our thesis. Uh, we aligned with them. And then we came out with, with a lot of technology to to restructure that value chain in this new planet that we live in, this new digital world that we live in. And now we're creating all the, the tools and applications to deliver a better user experience. So that I would say that's a substantial difference that what, what Oscar did. It's fascinating what they did. Uh, the company uh, grew exponentially and they, they have a, a great uh, value proposition, but that is that tweak is, is very different for us. So we chose to go in the value chain first because we believe the, the problem was there. And we do understand that there is a problem in user experience, in data and so forth. There's a lot of frustration from the end user, but the, the main problems as far as the Brazilian market was in the value chain. So we're fixing, we, we, we fixed that and now we're, uh, we're coming out with our product and we're going to invest a lot on the user experience. Absolutely. And I mean, one of the main challenges for startups in general, not just insurtechs when going into a market with a, a different value proposition and especially competing against, uh, you know, this, very established, really large companies, incumbents. Um, when you're going out there competing with insurers in, in a market that is basically worth around 200 billion payage, and, and for people listening, that's around 31 billion euro, how are you aiming to gain customers and, and to collect the data and to work with the data? Because customer acquisition is one of the largest costs that startups in general face. We do have a strategy. Uh, we're looking at a small, medium-sized enterprise, and in general, below 50 lives. And what happens in the market in Brazil, a lot of these companies, they, they change their carriers year on year because they get a price increase of 19%, and then they go to the next one. And then the following year, they come back to the one that they were previously. So it's kind of like they, they keep changing. So there is no loyalty in the space. And then coming back to the previous point, since we aligned in the value chain, and now we're talking about user experience, because from the customer perspective, they don't really understand what's happening on the value chain. Now we organize the value chain and we're very confident that in our value proposition, we'll be able to deliver them on a 12 month rolling basis, natural inflation rate. And we will promise that to our users, meaning we will deliver something to the tune of 
two, three percent or five percent, which is the the general uh, inflation in Brazil, opposed to nineteen percent. So uh, this is our bet that our users will look at us and say, "Hey, this is a good value proposition." And not only that, but we do uh, different than other carriers with our uh, gatekeeping model, with the with the care team uh, being the entry point for for getting care uh, at our system. What we're doing is saying, "Hey, we want you to use our tools because we want to know you." We want you to use our correct care path. Use as much as you want on the primary care, because the more you use, the more we'll know you, and the more we'll be able to care for you, and the more we'll be able to navigate you. So when you create that bound with the user, that confidence level, uh, we're able in the long run to reduce costs. So this is part of our value proposition, and we'll have care in the hands of our users, which is substantially different than a lot of the incumbents. Although, you know, telemedicine has been, you know, exploded, you know, globally due to COVID, but it's, it's a very sporadic interaction when you talk about, you know, the general telemedicine. It means you pick up the phone and you talk to a doctor on the other side. We're not talking about it. We're talking a lot more than that. We're talking about getting to know your user. And every time you call, every time will be the same care team, will be via text message, via telephone, via uh, teleconference, and it will always be your team. So every time you call, you don't have to tell your story. You don't have to tell who you are. You don't have to tell the drugs you used before. You don't have to tell anything because we'll have your story from the get-go, from the moment you on board to our solution. So this is just you know some of the points that we understand our prospects and clients will value uh, substantially different than the incumbents. But yes, it will be very challenging getting users to new users to our base. Guilherme, um, how do you plan to, you know, to remain financially in the market when you have an inf inflation rate that you're not passing on to your customers? Well, I'll go back to the value chain, the way we design our contracts with our providers. All those elements have been captured in a negotiation with our providers. And a lot of uh, the inflation rate, the medical inflation rate is a function of frequency, uh, meaning how many times the user goes to, to a setting the amount of uh, materials that user consumes and the unit cost of each material. So some of our arrangements with our providers take care of all those three elements, meaning uh, when I said we incentivize the user to use a lot of our primary care, means the more he uses, doesn't mean the more it will cost us. It's quite the contrary. The more I will get to know him and the, the more I'll be able to provide a better service for them. And my arrangement compensation with my provider is a fixed amount. And so if the user use one or 10 times, obviously, if you use 100 times, then there will be a cost increase. But the arrangement doesn't mean that my cost will go up. And then we have these arrangements with laboratories and hospitals as well, meaning bundled payments. Uh, so the hospital is not incentivized in any other way to extend, for example, additional discharges for a specific patient. Oh, no, let's, if this patient stay another three days with us, it will increase revenue at a hospital. That doesn't happen in our agreement because, uh, for example, the patient goes for uh, cardiac surgery, for example, we pay a fixed amount for that event. So if the patient stays five days or 10 days in an ICU setting, it will cost us the same price, opposed to having an open negotiation where the longer the patient stays in the hospital, the more it costs the, the carrier. That doesn't happen in our structure. So with that, we have a very defensive approach as far as uh, fighting uh, medical inflation in Brazil. And how do you make sure that, first of all, uh, providers accept your model and how do you foresee that? And second of all, that because of those negotiations, patient care is not compromised? 
A lot of, of the elements in those contracts with the value chain uh, are being monitored for higher clinical outcomes. So uh, yes, we, we will monitor clinical outcome at all our care settings. You know, in, in the last, let's say, two, three years in Brazil, the whole industry understood that things needed to change. And there will be a lot of change, uh, a lot of uh, challenges for us once we expand outside of uh, Sao Paulo state and the southern state regions, let's just say from uh, Rio and south, that region, there's a lot of providers that understand what we're doing and are willing to work in our model and actually wish to work in our model, but expand nationally, then yes, there will be a lot of uh, resistance from other providers. And that indeed will be a challenge for us because uh, it's very difficult for a hospital that is has historically been based on fee-for-service, and that was just the, the previous example I was giving. So the longer the patient stays in the hospital, the higher the revenue, and that has nothing to do with the clinical outcome. It just means that the hospital, the longer the patient stays there, the more the, the higher the revenue, the more possibilities of increasing the billing to the carrier. In that case, that, that doesn't happen with us. And some of the uh, our contractual elements have a clinical outcome as a content, not only as a monitoring point, but as, as part of compensation. So that's how we're able to uh, have an equilibrium on the quantitative side and on the qualitative side as well, which is, you know, one of the, the highest concerns for us. We, we, we want to make sure we deliver uh, the highest clinical outcome possible. Talking about the, your upcoming months and, and your launch in November 2020, what do you foresee will be your biggest challenges? I'll give you two words that, you know, in my head as far as go to market, okay? Reputation and credibility. I would say when you talk about, you know, risk carriers, that's what we're doing, right? And, and, I, and I guess different than, than, you know, looking at, a, you know, car insurance that, you know, obviously there's, you know, challenges in the experience and so forth. You're talking about physical material. You're talking about a car. You're talking about insurance for your mobile. But when you talk about healthcare insurance, I think the level of understanding and, and trust that you have to be able to pass to your users and construct with your providers is such that I think this will be our one of our biggest challenge as we go to market and, you know, literally the market, oh, who's Sammy? Oh, Sammy is a new health insurance. And, and then when you're looking, you know, I have, a, you know, as a user, oh, I have United Healthcare and, well, experience might be the worst i'm not saying it's the worst but whatever let's just assume that user has the worst user experience he knows that if he goes to the hospital and united healthcare is the the risk carrier you know he will get care and now sammy comes to the market well who's sammy you know no one knows sammy and obviously we're backed by four of the most active vc funds in latam that's good for us, but the, the end user doesn't know that. And that's kind of irrelevant for him. But we're building credibility and reputation together with our providers and bringing our providers to the table and packaging that offering and coming to the market and delivering that product to our user. We'll be able to create that first step in trust and in, in creating uh, credibility and starting our reputation as a risk carrier. So, yeah, I, I would say reputation and credibility when you talk about uh, health risk carrier. Uh, those are two elements that are very profound in the mind of the consumer that will say, hey, am I going to buy United Health Insurance that maybe I don't have the, the best experience or I buy Sammy that I don't know who they are and I don't know if I go to the hospital, these guys will be able to pay. But obviously, you know, the regulatory framework in Brazil for healthcare is very stringent. That means there's a lot of capital provisioning specific for that. So in the capital sense, obviously, yeah, we have capital provisioning for all that risk that we're taking on. 
and the, the regulatory framework is extremely stringent that, you know, from the legal standpoint, yes, we do have the, the financial backing for that. But for the end user, he's looking at that reputation and credibility. Those are two elements important for us as we go to market. Just for people to understand also a little bit of the background. So you recently raised uh, a round with um, international investors. Would you mind sharing a little bit more with us? We, well, I can't, I can't tell specifically the amount, but I'll tell you uh, the investors that, that joined the round. We have uh, well, Redpoint was our seed investor and also a Series A investor. Uh, we have Valor Capital Group, which is a New York based, but they're they very active in LATAM. I'm not sure if they do a lot of deals in the US, but most of their deals is LATAM. And then we have Monashis, which is one of the pre- it was the first VC fund in Brazil, extremely active in LATAM, as well as Canary, which is a smaller fund, but very active in the in the seed space, not in the not in the in the Series A space. And so those are the four uh, funds that joined our Series A. As well, we have uh, and then we blocked a piece of our round for selected individual investors that we thought that would be very important in our journey. As we said, uh, we're building a village here to conquer LATAM because it, it's a huge mission and we need a lot of uh, intelligent people uh, pushing our mission. And so we blocked a piece of our round for selected investors. So we have investors from Google to Pinterest to uh, you know the, the, the former CTO from, from Oscar Health. Uh, we have, uh, you know, some family offices from United Emirates. We have European funds, smaller European funds. Uh, and then we have some uh, selected investors as well in Brazil. So we have a, a very rich and diverse uh, investor base that we can reach out to for specific problems and for sp- experience that we know we're going to face and we know these guys faced before. And be it from the technology space, from the marketing space, from the finance and risk carrying space, and obviously from the healthcare space. So the former CEO from uh, United Health, their arm in Brazil called Amil is on our advisory group as well. Uh, so we do have a lot of uh, brilliant people on our cap table as investors and as well as, as advisors. Guilherme, it sounds like you're basically building a very strong business model. And I'm really looking forward to catching up again with you, maybe beginning of next year or in, in a year's time to see how people have accepted Sami's model and how challenging uh, such a complex and fragmented system uh, has been embraced uh, and developed over time. So for now, thank you very much for your time. It's been a great conversation and good luck for the upcoming months and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Nia.